Welcome to the Father's Heart with Tom Clark, better known as Papa Tom. Good morning, this is Papa Tom, and I'm here with Lee Dundas, and she's describing her book and the things that she's doing. Um, she t- was telling me offline about a very, very interesting story, which is really the foundation of her book, and it actually creates uh, a call to action that we can do as people to overcome the fear that keeps coming upon us in all different directions, from uh, particularly from the, the media, the fake news media, and places where evil is trying to cause us to be afraid. Um, fear often gets us to a point where we don't do anything. We just stop. We're like frozen in fear. And yet there are things that we can do to overcome fear. So Lee, share with us that story that you encountered in your life. It's a true story of what you encountered and, and the example it gives to people for what they can do in small, like a million different ways in your life. There's different ways that you could stand up and resist the evil and fear that is coming up, uh, trying to attack you each day of your life. Sure. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it was fun chatting during the break, and uh, I'll share that little anecdote uh, with your with your audience right now. I was working in Thailand. It was uh, 2013, ten years ago, uh, and and a couple months, and I was new to doing the brothel work, uh, fighting fighting child trafficking over there. And when I got um, into the country, our in-country liaison who was setting up our business office in Bangkok, um, so that we had an you know an operations center to operate from came into my office that he was kind of loaning our, our NGO, uh, a portion of his office suite. And he said, so um, I hope you don't mind, but I hired uh, a new sort of secretary for you. And um, a secretary slash, uh, uh, I forget what he said, something like Intel asset or something. And I was uh, a, a secretary in an asset. And I was like, I, I was just sort of dumbstruck. And I said, so she's going to be my secretary and like she's an asset or like are you talking like an intel asset like the ex-navy seal guys that we hired to run into the brothels pretending to be like pedophile buyers and he goes both and i i was just so flummoxed because you know the 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 asian secretaries are usually 90 pounds soaking wet you know and they're about four foot eleven and they look like an asian secretary and then the navy seal guys that we hired to do the intelligence work look like Navy SEALs, you know, they're like <laughs> five times the size of the secretary, you know, height width wise. And I'm like, you know, my brain was just melting out my left ear trying to picture a girl who was going to be an Intel asset and my secretary. And, and he, he leans over and he taps me on the shoulder and he goes, I'll let her explain. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Right. So uh, a couple of days goes by and this new girl's doing a fantastic job. We'll, we'll call her Jenny uh, for lack of a, a better name. I, I don't want to give her away a real name. And so one day she walks into my office and she says, hey, I got your computer talking to your printer. And I said, oh, praise God, because it's, you know, for a lawyer, it's, you know, you may as well be like sending a carrier pigeon if you can't type stuff and print it out. Right. And uh, I said, oh, well, thank you for that. And she didn't leave, Tom. She just sort of stood there in front of my desk. And uh, she's, you know, she's moving the tchotchkes on my desk around, the paperweights around. And, and I can tell, like, I've, I've done therapy before as the patient. And I've been in challenging situations with other people. And, you know, I was at the DA's office working with victims of crime. And you get a feel for when somebody's about to lay down a, a heavy load psychologically. The, the air sort of changes in the room. So I didn't say anything. I just, you know, kind of looked at her in a welcoming way. And she said, so I'm one of the kids that happens when Australian men come to my country and marry little Thai women. 
My dad was an, a mean drunk and an Australian guy. That's why I speak fluent English and Thai. And he married my mom, who's this little Thai woman, and I'm the product of that. And when he would get really, really drunk, he would beat the living heck out of my mother. And one day that was happening in our little Quonset hut. She lived in rural Thailand in an actual like grass thatched roof mm-hmm. hut. And I wanted to get a breath of fresh air, literally and figuratively. So I left the hut and I walked down the, the dirt road by my house, if you will. And I sat down at a bus, uh, bus bench. And about two minutes later, she was 12, by the way, when this happened. Two minutes later, a semi-truck full or a, a pickup truck full of guys comes screeching to a stop. And three or four guys ha- hop out of the bed of the truck and they run over to her and they throw her on the ground and they wrestle her down and they put a needle in her arm. And she said, I don't know what was in the needle, but it must have been a pretty heavy narcotic because when I woke up, I was on the border, a Thai-Burmese border, now Myanmar, um, in a border slave trading camp. Think you know, 17, 1800s rural America in the South where you have black men and women for sale who are fresh off the boat from Africa. That's what we were. But instead of black men for your plantation, we are children ages one to 12 or 13, my age. And this is where all the owners of the brothels the world over will come to buy their product. Mm. So if you're a brothel owner in Japan or Amsterdam or America or Australia, you will come to this location and you will pick out the girls you want to go back to your country with and put in your brothel. And I was just dumbstruck. I mean, at this point, I'm new to this work and, you know, I'm trying to keep my jaw off the ground. And she continues and she says, so... I wake up because they're executing a screaming baby next to me. The guards just got tired of the baby screaming. Um, And I'm in this camp for a couple of months. And one day the guards line us up for sport and they just run a firing squad. They run a firing line against us. They are walking down the line, laying guns on temples. And when the girl, it becomes her turn to die, uh, she drops her knees and she grapples for the gun and she begs for her life. Without fail. One for one, this is what these girls were doing. And then they get to me and she stops talking. And I looked at her and I said, what do they do? What did you do when they got to you? And she said, and I'll never forget it. She said, I stood up and I took a step forward and I reached out my hand and I said, give me your gun. I don't want to live like this anymore. I will shoot myself. And the owner of the camp happened to be walking by and he overheard my exchange with the guard. Mm -hmm. And he said, you follow me into my office. So he drags her into his little Quonset hut that makes, you know, do as his office. And he sits her down across the desk from him. And he says, I have been doing this for decades and everybody will beg for their life in the final analysis. And you didn't. And I want to know why. And she says the same thing again. She stands up, she leans over his desk, reaches out her hand and says, I know you have a gun in in one of those drawers back there. Give it to me. I'm not living like this anymore. I'll shoot myself. And at that point, he leans back in his little office chair, laces his hands behind his head, looks at her for two, three seconds, and then does this. Get out of here. Flicks his fingers out of you're free to go. Amazing. And she looked at me and I was like, Oh my gosh, right? And uh, she broke and the bondage of fear. She did. She's broke the bondage of fear. No, there's a scripture that says in Hebrews 2 14 15 says um, that Jesus took on flesh that he might um, overcome uh, <clears throat> the fear of death. 
Yeah. And that the enemy, uh, Satan, uses the fear of death to keep the unbelieving all their lives in bondage. I come to understand with that from that from the word that the mother of all fears is the fear of death. And she confronted the fear of death and she broke the bondage right there. She did. And the very first Clay Clark event I ever went to, I told the story at the end, as in my book, and I said, so you have to understand, like, I believe I was put in this office with this girl at that point for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, we, we fear all these things. We fear death. We fear this. Oh, I had to. I had to. People say all the time, oh, I had to. Unless you had a gun to your temple, you really didn't have to. And what you need to understand is even if the worst were to happen, even if somebody came up with a needle and said, I am shoving this COVID vaccine into your kid, like that's a have to, not you're going to lose your job, right? right? Or you're going to lose the right to travel or whatever, which is a a sort of a a coercion or a duress, but it's not an actual have to. But I'm going to actually kill you if you don't take this vaccine. Even when you actually have a gun to your head, like this poor 12-year-old girl in the sex slave trading camp did, you still have a choice. And what you need to understand is you are far better off fighting with your boots on than ever taking a knee to tyranny because tyranny keeps coming back for you over and over and over again. You turn the cheek and it hits you again. And so what I told the people at Clay Clark, and I've been telling this story a lot ever since because I think an average American needs to hear it, is I don't care what's in the weapon and whether it's figurative or literal. When you are looking at a double barrel full of hate and anger and tyranny and whatever else that is ready to do you in, you stand up because you are far better off fighting for your life on your damn feet than ever taking a knee. And what we have seen over and over and over again for the last you know, 47 months now is when you actually stand up, they walk away. They when I stood up to our board of supervisors, our boards of ed, and I know we're coming down on our on our break that I keep trouncing over the last couple of breaks. But uh, when you actually stand up, these politicians, these evildoers are cowards at heart. And when you call them out, when you name and shame what they're doing, when you shine a light into the dark and ugly corners of their programs and make average middle America aware of what is actually going on, that's what they fear. They fear their evil plans being known. In, in a very fair way, not in the PR spin way, and they will often pull them back. And, and I have had way more success than I ever thought I could have as a single mother, not as a lawyer. I didn't file lawsuits. I, I was a single pissed off mother walking into these situations over the last 47 months, and we have had nothing but success. And I would love to share some of the, the tools and, and arrows in our quiver, so to speak, that we've developed here in Orange County fighting tyranny in California, because they're things that every man and woman can do in their neck of the woods. To, in, to our, in our them. next segment, we'll go through those things that people can do. It reminded me of a great speech in the movie, one of my favorite movies of all time is Braveheart, and the story of William Wallace. And William Wallace goes up and down the uh, the lines of the Scottish uh, people, uh, the poor people, the commoners, and he he, taught, he he gives a great speech to them that you could you could run away right now and you could die maybe years from now, but you won't have freedom, and you have a chance today to stand up for right. freedom. So your right. choice is yours to run away and don't fight the English, the armies against you. Um, the uh, the people who are trying to impose tyranny on you and take away your wives, take away your your livelihood, take away everything you stand for, or you could stand up against this tyranny. It was a fantastic speech. I'm I'm not really quoting it very well, but I remember it well. And yeah. that's the story uh, that we will get back to and give people practical advice on how they can stand up against tyranny. Mm-hmm. 
We're back with Papa Tom and Lee Dundas. And Lee has been sharing some extremely interesting stories about the importance of just standing up, just resisting when evil comes upon you and fear tries to come in, particularly the fear of death. We sometimes think, most of the time, we're being told, you don't have a choice, you don't have a choice, I'm going to die. No, you actually do have a choice. And you've got to remember that you have a choice, and she's going to share some very uh, interesting, informative, and practical examples from her own personal experience in California, and also experiencing um, things that she has learned from different parts of the world of how we can do that. And before we even start the practical things, I think we need to address, Lee, the issue of freedom and how people do not really appreciate, many people do not really appreciate in America, they really don't appreciate freedom and the value that freedom is. And so their normalcy bias is thinking, well, well, I'm going to go back to the way things used to be. And that's a very dangerous place to be. So let's address the issue of freedom and how you've seen people from really dire circumstances appreciate freedom more so than the average American. Yeah, well, we were talking over the over the commercial break about the fact that a lot of the folks that we saw, at least at the rallies um, in the beginning of the, of the pandemic in 2020, you know, it was a motley crew. I was out there. Um, it was you know, definitely a motley crew if you were there. <laughs> it's always a Motley crew when I'm there, or Utah. But, but, uh, but you know, it was me, and and I, I started talking to these people backstage. Like I, like I talked to you at the Clay Clark event, a lot of the speakers, a lot of the rally organizers, we were either child abuse survivors, um, and, and I include, I had a very chaotic upbringing in, in that, or rape survivors, or sexual abuse survivors, or immigrants from third world countries who were communist, fascist, uh, or ex-military. And I, you know, I, I took a look at this ragtag bunch and I heard the same stories over and over. I'm like, oh, yeah, they're like, oh, this is horrible. This is the beginning of the end. And these are people who are saying it in March, right? Like not 17 months in where they've seen the writing on the wall, but they saw the writing on the wall first thing, like, like I did, where I was Sunday, Out of the blocks. Out of the blocks, right, they saw off, it. Off, out of the gate. We were like, this is not a virus. This is not 14 days to flatten the curve. And we were saying that on like day one, right? And when I started looking at it, we, we were these three distinct demographics. It was abuse survivors, ex-cop, ex-military, and immigrants from communist countries, primarily. And I thought, that's random. And then I realized it's not random, because going back to normality bias, what is, what is your normal set to? Where's your set point on your normal <laughs> dial? Mm-hmm. For the average American who had a good upbringing, and as my age or younger, you've never lived through very much active war conflict. You were born into the end of the Vietnam War, like I was, where you don't even remember it. And all the other wars have been like flashes in the pan that lasted five days when we carpet bombed Iraq or something, right? So you've lived through no, no sustained war, and freedom was a guarantee. And you you may have been a woman, you may have been of color, but you didn't probably even experience much real racism or sexism. So life was pretty much a bowl of cherries, right? Mm -hmm. And your dial for normal is set to freedom is guaranteed for me. Now, if you were a child abuse survivor, a domestic violence survivor, a rape survivor, your dial is set to, uh, wow, things can go really bad really quick. And normal may look normal on the surface, but it's not normal. Like somebody's trying to kill me or otherwise really, really do me in, right? So a lot of the people that I saw taking action faster, quicker than the average bear were these people where they didn't have to wait around in denial and deliberation, you know, of phase one and phase two, the normality bias. They were like, oh, something's weird. 
okay, we're we're all guns forward. We are Johnny on the spot. Something's weird. We need to jump on this because it's going to get worse if we don't take action. These are people who had no normal. Normal for them was living in the war zone. (laughs) That's right. And maybe you are like my daughter where you're normal. Your normal is set to nobody's coming to abuse me. Nobody's coming to have war in my backyard. Nobody's coming to kill me in the dead of night, right? Mm -hmm. But, But again, through drilling your kids, drilling yourselves, you can get your brain to start to take action quicker by just role playing these out of the weird situations, right? Anyway, so that's normality bias and and what I noticed, uh, but a lot of more people are joining our ranks now who are not just child abuse survivors or victims of communist regimes who happen to survive, right? Which is good because it takes a village to to win this war and we, we definitely need all comers. But what I wanted to talk to in the final few minutes here is the fact that a lot of times people, even powerful attorneys, right? Like I was an attorney, I've been an attorney 30 years. You know, you have this subconscious uh, habit of saying to yourself, whether it's addressed or unaddressed in your mind, oh, how much good can one person really be if I'm not really rich or, you know, the governor of a state? Like, how much good can I really do? I'm just one person. Mm-hmm. You can do a lot more good than you thought you could do. Mm-hmm. And I became uh, cognizant of this in my own backyard, right? And I was just a mama bear. Like, I didn't file a lawsuit. I'm a lawyer, but I didn't file a single lawsuit the last three years because they weren't working in the blue states. We're living in communism. You're not going to fix anything with a lawsuit in a communist regime, which is what mm-hmm. California is right now. They've captured so when, the justice system. They totally have in the blue states. So when we found out they were going to vaccinate children on school campuses with no informed consent of the parents, they were going to secretly vaccinate little Johnny without even you knowing about it. Mm -hmm. We got word the day before they were going to do this. We got all our friends to go to the Board of Education meeting, and I just lit up the microphone. I said, the last people to do this were the Third Reich. We do not experiment anymore. We have a Nuremberg Code for this reason. And that speech went viral around the world. Mm-hmm. I as well researched, I did not know this walking into it, I researched the law that said failure to give informed consent in the state of California is a crime. It's, it's like a misdemeanor and they can go to jail for a year or two and they can be fined five grand or whatever it is. And I, it was it was very interesting. And I called out our school superintendent and our health officer who had conspired on a Zoom call to do this. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, God help me, this is a crime and you're going down for it, right? And when you name and shame these bad evildoers publicly, especially if what they've done is crossed over into criminal territory, mm-hmm. they the pucker factor goes real high real quick and they just drop it like a hot potato. So that video went viral around the world. I was still getting it Back, sent back to me with Croatian and Japanese subtitles. Wow. Somebody had transcribed my words with Japanese characters across the bottom of the screen four months later. And I looked at my husband and I said, look, I'm talking about what's going on at the like PTA in Orange County. What the hell does Japan and Croatia care about it? My husband said, no, no, no. What you were talking about was tyranny and how to fight tyranny. And that struck a chord around the freaking world. Right. So that's one thing you can do is go to the board meeting and be loud, be proud, call it out. Whether it's unethical or straight up illegal, call it out. And the more eloquent you can be uh, and the more fiery and passionate you can be, and the, if you can get it on video and you can make it go viral, that brings a lot of heat, a lot of eyeballs to it. And the mm-hmm. evil people don't want eyeballs on the dark corners of the skeletons in their closet, and they will drop it. When I found out that our new health officer had been uh, writing Suboxone prescriptions for heroin addicts at her mother's methadone clinic for the eight years prior, to our county hiring her. I just put it on blast at the board meeting. I didn't sue her. 
over our mask mandate. I said, did you know that this is our new that this is our new health czar? That this is what the Orange County Board hired? She was writing Suboxone prescriptions. She was basically handing heroin to heroin addicts. Describe describe what you mean by that to our audience so they can get so clue. so Suboxone is. Uh, an opiate, and she was taking heroin addicts who were trying to get off heroin and handing them handing another opiate. <laughs> and that was her sole job. She was working, she was a, a pill mill writing hoe, basically. And that's what I called her at the board meeting. And I looked up, I had a PI research her uh, name and address, and I put that on blast at the board meeting. It went live on Channel 3. I got 15 mothers <laughs> who were upset. We went and held signs in front of her address. You need to make sure there's not a law that prohibits you from being in front of her home. But we stood on her sidewalk, which is public right away, with our bullhorns and our signs. You you should have seen Irvine Police Department. They thought the second coming was there. They walked up, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, didn't you know? Didn't you learn about this in fourth grade? It's called the freaking First Amendment. I have a right to be here as long as I'm not stepping onto her driveway. So you better put in for overtime, mister, because we're going to be here all damn day and all damn night exercising our First Amendment right. And we had her face and her name and what she was doing on signs. She quit the next day, took her mask mandate with her. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be a lawyer. You need to be a pissed off mama bear or papa bear with a bullhorn you bought at Walmart and 15 bucks or maybe 500 bucks and a big old like sign like the one behind me mm -hmm. on the side of your you know panel truck sitting in front of your local politician. <clears throat> and trust me when I tell you, they will start getting back in their lane. Name and shame are these types of programs. And if it doesn't work in the first pass, don't stop. I named and shamed when they were going to do vaccine passports in our county. We would have been locked down into our house. I never would have been able to go to the grocery store or the park because I don't have a vaccine. I wouldn't have been able to show my vax pass. Mm -hmm. So I said, what the hell are you doing? This is like the third Reich all over again. What are you doing? And they called up their friends at the LA Times and did a hit piece on me because I called my Republican board of supervisors the new Fourth Reich. And I said, fine, you want to call me? They called me a Nazi for calling them Nazis. And I'm, I am a Romani granddaughter. We had our own Holocaust under Hitler. I'm like, what the hell are you doing calling me a Nazi when we were persecuted by the Nazis? And I thought, you want to play this game? Fine, I'll double down. I am going to get a Holocaust survivor to call you a Nazi on air. And I made a TV ad. I sought out, and I know we're running up against our time, a Holocaust survivor who spent five years in a concentration camp. And she said, these vaccine passports, these are a product of Hitler's Germany. This is exactly how Hitler started. And I said, will you make me a 30-second soundbite, and I will raise $250,000 and run it on CNN, Fox, and MSNBC every damn hour. She said, absolutely. We made that TV ad. We ran that TV ad. They dropped that passport plan like a hot potato. I'm not a t I'm not Del Big Tree. I'm not a TV producer. But if you've got an Apple phone and you got a good idea and you can raise a little money from your friends and family, you too can do this. Do not fail to fight tyranny because you think you are not up to the task. This is the chance you have to be a hero for your kids in this lifetime. Never doubt a small group of concerned citizens can save the world, for indeed, they are the only ones who ever did. That was Margaret Mead. You wow. can do it, too. You know, we're in a war, and we're in the Air Force. And the Air Force, you just described how to use media, not lawsuits, but media against the people to stop the evil that's coming upon us. I would ask our audience to uh, give us some feedback. 
Let us some feedback to what you think about what Lee Dundas has been sharing today and what Papa Tom has been sharing was I'm bringing more and more high-quality interviewees onto the program. Call 844-788-3464. Give us your feedback. Did you like the show? Did you not like the show? Tell us what you think. 844-788-3464.